Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. I'm here with Lou Weiss, who's the founder of Manufacturing Talk Radio. He's also the president of All Metals and Forge Group, our sponsor. If you're looking for open die forgings or seamless rolled rings, particularly for making large gears like the ones behind us, check it out at steelforge.com. Joining us today is Greg Hayes, who is the Senior Vice President of Applied Technology at EOS North America. We're going to be talking about 3D printing. Greg, welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here and, uh, and see how this conversation goes. I, uh, I think there's a lot to talk about. I'm not sure if we have enough time, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, can tell you I can tell you now we don't, but okay, let's, okay. Let's move <laughs> so tell us about EOS. We'll start with that. Perfect. Yes. So, so EOS is an international company. Uh, there's about 1,500 employees split, uh, spread throughout the globe. And we are uh, very proud to be the world leaders in powder bed additive manufacturing technologies. So um, what that means is we make machines, the software that controls those machines and the materials that go in those machines uh, to 3D print or additively manufacture components out of both metal and polymer uh, materials. So if you look at 3D printing uh, in the world, there are many different uh, technologies out there. Some use a liquid resin uh, technology, some use an extrusion or a deposition of, uh, of powder. We use a technique which is, uh, which is called powder bed. Uh, so there is a, a thin layer of powder, which is then melted together uh, with a laser, uh, with a laser system. I'm fascinated, Greg, to know how the laser knows how deep to go. To yeah. Does it build a part up and materials added or how does that actually work? Yeah, it's really interesting. So, so EOS uh, celebrated uh, this year, I think our 32nd uh, birthday. So we are uh, we are quite old when it comes to uh, the world of additive manufacturing, and we've been developing the algorithms to control these lasers around uh, powder beds uh, since uh, since the company's beginnings. And um, uh, it's really quite remarkable. It's it's a complicated process, and um, and it takes a lot of uh, a lot of fine tuning of the of the system to know exactly what's happening within the melt of the material as the laser moves uh, around the surface. So if you look at the metal uh, process in particular, this is effectively analogous to a laser welding process. So you're laser welding powder together. And then you're laser welding on top of a laser weld, on top of a laser weld, on top of a laser weld, building it up. And um, uh, it's not the case that once the material is laser welded, that that's, uh, that that's finalized. Because when you put a new layer on there, actually the, the current layer that you're melting, of course, melts a little bit into the layer underneath of that and the layer underneath of that. And so there's a, there's a time temperature history for the metallurgists out there, uh, which is very crucial to the success uh, or failure of an additively manufactured uh, metal component. 
But we've been we've been developing those algorithms uh, for the past uh, for the past few decades and have gotten very good at it. And it's it's really our uh, that's our core IP that differentiates us uh, from some of the others doing doing similar uh, things. So I have a question about that technical, yeah. I guess metallurgical at the same time. Yeah. What kind of uh, structure, molecular structure, uh, is the end product? of a 3D printed product? Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really good question. And I think um, uh, it may be frustrating to hear the response, which is, it depends, uh, right? But it, it, it depends, uh, it depends in, a, in a lot of uh, really good ways and a lot of interesting ways. So uh, just as a, as a, for instance, if you uh, fine tune the process, you can create uh, molecular structures or grain sizes within, within a metal, which are uh, very analogous to, uh, to say a forged component uh, or somewhere uh, in between a casting, uh, a casting component and a, and a forged component. So you'll have grain sizes uh, uh, on, on a typical uh, magnitude uh, of, um, uh, across the material. You'll have mechanical properties which are, uh, which are similar in the X, Y, and Z directions. Uh, you'll have um, uh, fatigue properties, uh, which are also to be expected for the for the material that uh, that you are making, and um, and you'll have densities uh, that are uh, that are greater than ninety nine point eight percent. Very dense, uh, very dense components. You can do this in such a way. Uh, because uh, of how you uh, optimize and fine tune the process. But if you want to do that, and there's always trade-offs uh, in a process. And so another, another way to exploit the technology, which, uh, which some companies have been doing, is they've been either running the process faster or doing it in such a way to save them time and money and sacrificing some, uh, some properties of the material. So if you are only making a material which needs to have, for example, casted uh, properties and you're okay with a little bit more porosity and you're okay with um, a slight degradation in your mechanical properties, you can save uh, time and thus uh, save money, run the process faster, and then you'll have um, you'll have morphologies within the within the metal which are slightly different, more analogous to a to a casting. You'll have porosities which are more analogous uh, to a casting, <clears throat> and the mechanical properties uh, that go along with that. So it it really depends on on what you're trying to get out uh, of your final component. Well, if I have a part that I need to make. Mm -hmm. Let's say it's an aerospace part, and typically you have the uh, AMS specifications. Yeah, uh, is three D printing yet under the guise or the umbrella of the AMS specifications, or is there not specifications yet developed for three D printing? Yeah, that's a that's a tricky one. They are in development right now i think uh i would you may know better than me when uh, when the ams uh, updated specs are going to come out but um but right now 
there is uh, there is no final spec. I don't believe that's been published for uh, for additive manufacturing, but there are uh, there are a lot of organizations, not only AMS but also ASTM, which are working on standards and, and working on uh, on protocols uh, for these types of parts. And in different industries, um, uh, uh, companies have been able to qualify uh, components to be used not only in the aerospace industry, but also uh, uh, by the FDA in the, in the medical industry uh, for implants, for structural components uh, in, uh, in airplanes, uh, and for uh, components in other industries uh, as well. So it's, it's being used today, and, the, and you know, specifications are being developed kind of in parallel. As I recall, the International Space Station has a 3D printer up there uh, so that they can repair parts, make new parts, instead of sending a, another spaceship up for a billion dollars. Yeah. So uh, they must have some level of uh, requirements, mechanical, physical properties uh, already in place, at least with in that out-of-the-world environment. Yeah, I think... If I if I recall the article I read, uh, uh, I think last year sometime they they needed a uh, a wrench or, or some uh, kind of simple hand tool and and someone had uh, built that wrench, uh, designed that wrench here on Earth, sent the file uh, up uh, to the International Space Station. And they were able to to build that component uh, uh, there, which is an an awesome uh, demonstration of what we're always talking about when we talk about. Uh, distributed manufacturing right because we can uh, we can design test and then lock down a uh, a build file send that build file to another piece of equipment somewhere uh, in the world and as long as the raw material is there in, uh, in i think in the case of the wrench it was an extrusion process uh, so as long as the the filament was there they're able to then produce it which is um which is unbelievable and and Amazing something out of out of uh, out of the movies uh from uh from 50 years ago which is uh what's happening right right i love that particular reference because when i watched star trek uh as a young kid yeah um, i looked at it purely as science fiction our children and your children look at it and go oh that's cool i bet i can make that yeah, yeah. they do exactly. <laughs> You know, I was uh, uh, I was having this uh, this conversation uh, in the in the last weeks. I went I went and visited a uh, an eyeglass uh, company when I was in uh, when I was in Germany, and they were they were three D printing eyeglass uh, the frames of uh, of eyeglasses, and and they could use a uh, just the the phone on uh, or the camera on your phone to scan your head. Uh, 3D prints uh, the frames of the eyeglasses. Put in your prescription uh, that you need that uh, that the doctor says you need, it, and you have a pair of glasses. and And the interesting thing for me was they were advertising this and marketing it not as 3D printed, but as customized. And this is a this is a really uh, fundamental shift that I think is awesome when you look at the the technology around additive manufacturing. Is that um, it's becoming more and more that tool in the toolbox that everyone has and everyone is able to use and we don't need to talk about it or or give it a special name it just it just is there it's something it's something that the modern engineer and the modern the modern manufacturing uh, person has access to 
and understands uh, how to how to use. So it's uh, uh, it's it's when the CNC machines um, uh, came onto the market, they were new, and now it's it's commonplace uh, that that they're in every manufacturing environment, and additive is uh, is coming that way as well. I'll bet those eyeglass frames still cost seven hundred dollars, no matter what you do. <laughs> but I think they, I think they were about half of that, but it's still a lot of money. That's <laughs> you bet. <laughs> you bet. That's one You're of the right. highest profit margin consumer items that there is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's uh, it's really interesting. It's uh, and it it it's something that also can be uh, manufactured in a distributed environment, right? You don't have to make all the iframes in, in one location, uh, depending on where you're shipping them uh, uh, around the world as, as well. It's, it's, yeah, I think it's really interesting. Oh, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, Craig, you have been in this a while. What are the most unusual things that you're running across because manufacturers all over the world are looking at this technology saying, ooh, uh, you know, I could build that. What yeah. are the unusual applications? Ooh, uh, I mean, one thing that, that, that the common person may not know is that um, a, a majority of uh, hip, knee, and spinal implants are 3D printed today um, uh, by, by a variety of medical customers uh, uh, spread throughout the world. Um, and I think this is this is really interesting because when you uh, you know when you need a, a knee replacement surgery or, or a spinal implant surgery, you oftentimes don't discuss the manufacturing method with your doctor, right? You discuss <laughs> um, uh, what the medical remedy uh, is going to be. So I think um, I think that there's a lot of uh, of marketing and and understanding that can be done today on, on just applications that exist. But the, the medical industry for me is, is really interesting, um, uh, followed probably closely by uh, the modern uh, space industry. So by space, uh, I mean basically rocketry, uh, propulsion, and, uh, and communication uh, technologies. So um, there are a lot of companies today which are, are looking at solving problems like how do we get a number of small communication satellites up into space um, in the fastest and, and cheapest way. Um, how do we look at things like uh, human space travel, which is uh, less expensive um, uh, than what it's ever been uh, before. And, and the propulsion engines um, uh, that, are, that have historically been used uh, can be redesigned, lightweighted, and improved in their in their thrust to weight ratio uh, to be able to enable this uh, this new industry. And so there are there are a ton of companies using additive uh, EOS technology, but but also many other uh, additive company technologies to to enable this kind of modern day space race. And and I think that's uh, I think that's super cool and, and a great example of, of what can be done. So let me ask you a question about down the road, decade, two decades down the road. Is it ever going to get to the point where 3D printing is going to be making nuts and bolts and so on? You can go to the hardware store and pick up a, a tool and everything's going to be 3D printed. Let me let me counter your your question. 
is it the case that you need to uh, that you need to forge and then machine every nut and bolt that's made today? No. Okay. So similarly, also no, right? <laughs> I think. <laughs> it, okay. I don't. I don't think that. Uh, I don't think that three D printing is a replacement technology at at all. I, I truly believe <clears throat> that it is an additional tool in the toolbox that manufacturers will have access to, that engineers uh, will have access to, and so you know your high volume uh, mass produced uh, components which are which are typically made now the nuts and bolts of the world i don't see a lot of that uh, a lot of that changing but what i what i do see changing is uh, next generation engineers who will be proficient in uh, uh, computer aided design uh, systems who will have knowledge of how to design components for additive manufacturing, they may be sitting behind the computer and they may say, you know, this assembly, which previously was 10 or 12 components and consisted of, uh, of therefore, uh, you know, eight different weld seams and, uh, and four uh, bolted uh, connections, no longer needs to be designed in in these different components, but we can design it as one component and print the entire thing itself. So, so maybe in the future, then we're going to need less nuts and bolts um, than we do than we do today. But printing those nuts and bolts, it's a big ask uh, that that will become uh, financially advantageous <laughs> using an additive technology. Greg, I'm curious about. EOS, they're the manufacturer of the printer, the Correct. 3D printer. Yeah, that's right. What are, the, what are the parameters now and the size of the part that I can print? Yeah. So we have, um, uh, uh, like all new uh, and, and emerging space uh, technologies, we're constantly making improvements. Um, right now, EOS offers uh, basically three different sizes uh, of machines. So we have uh, small, medium, uh, and large. The largest machines at this moment can print something which is uh, 450 by 450 millimeters by 1,000 millimeters uh, high. So it's um, uh, if you think of a, of a box of, uh, of that size, 450 by 450 by 1,000, um, if it fits within that, uh, within that space, you, uh, you can potentially print it. Um, however, uh, we are making progress every day in, uh, in demonstrating uh, larger uh, build envelope sizes and uh, not only larger sizes, but also uh, technologies to speed up the process while uh, controlling the process in, in better ways. So we are doing all types of equipping the machine with in-situ um, uh, sensors. So we know exactly what's happening at every uh, single voxel of space inside of that build. And we can guarantee that it's a, that it's a good part and a successful build that comes out of it. Uh, all the way to you know thinking of ways to double the size uh, of a, of the large printer that we have uh, that we have today. So these uh, these technologies are uh, are ever expanding.
So those who are still trying to calculate 400 by 400 by 1,000, that's 16 inch by 16 inch by 40 inch, which is a rather sizable part. Um, and certainly if it's made out of steel, you're talking about really a weighty part. Uh, but I wanted to point out, and I think you and I spoke about this, about the bridge in, yeah. I don't know if it was Sweden or Norway, they built a, a print, 3D printed bridge that went across a, a narrow stream, you know, maybe 20, yeah. 25 feet. Yeah. Uh, I'd be curious to see the size of the machine, the printer that printed that, or were they all printed in bits and pieces? Yeah, you know, I think that's a really, uh, that's a really interesting uh, point that you bring up, I think, because I think it highlights um, the fact that when we say 3D printing, we mean a, a variety of, of different things. So EOS, um, uh, the company uh, where I'm working and representing today, uh, we, we concentrate on powder bed fusion technology. So this is in a controlled environment where we're using a laser to melt a powder uh, together. It offers really uh, high resolution. It offers great mechanical properties, um, but it has these size limitations uh, that, we, that we just talked about. As we sit here right now, I'm actually uh, talking to you from uh, a small city in the south of the Netherlands, about an hour away from Amsterdam. And in Amsterdam on the canals is uh, the 3D printed bridge, which you are talking about, oh, which, okay. is, uh, which is not uh, 450 millimeters big, of course. It's, uh, I don't know, 20 feet or, or right, 50 right. feet long. And, and this bridge was not built using EOS technology, but it was built using uh, another technology, which, uh, which has a, a deposition head on the end of a robotic arm. And so they're able to feed material into this robotic arm, deposit it um, uh, as they go, almost like a, um, a sophisticated metal hot glue gun and move it around and build up the, uh, the material as you go. And they're able to, to therefore um, uh, construct this, uh, this bridge almost free form uh, out of nothing. And, and I, 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 it dawns on me that I've, I've compared their technology to a metal hot glue gun and that's not fair at all because it's much more sophisticated <laughs> and I don't want, I don't want to uh, cause any adverse reactions, but um, I just trying to simplify uh, the description of it, but it's, it's really cool. And it's, it's a great demonstration uh, of what's possible. I think it's awesome. Have you visited it? I have. Yeah, I definitely have, have walked across better, it. I've, I've walked across it. Yeah. That's very cool. Question very is, cool. The question is, did you visit it and walk across it? Of course. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> you cannot, uh, it, it would not be, it would not be right of me to go all the way there and, and not, of course, walk across of course. it. Yeah. Of course. Greg, sometimes uh, demands are for thin wall or uh, a very fine uh, thickness. What's yeah. the capability of the EOS printers there in yeah, terms of I mean, how thin the part can be. Yeah, so that's uh, um, that's interesting. So that's uh, that's an area where, of course, it's it's constantly being uh, improved upon uh, as well. We we use a a powder material feedstock. So the 
the thickness and the fine detail uh, features that you're trying to uh, create with a laser and a powder, of course, are dependent on the size of a laser beam and they're dependent on the size uh, of the powder as well. Right now, I think we reach a lower limit of, of somewhere around uh, 75 or 100 microns in some of our really fine detail uh, resolution uh, recipes uh, that we have. Um, uh, and that's uh, about as, as thin as you can go with, a, with a, uh, a process, which is what I would call production ready. Of course, in, in a laboratory setting, in an experimental setting, uh, you, can push the, you can push the limits further. Um, but that's with that's with an EOS uh, technology. Some other some other technologies, um, uh, for example, polymer printers, uh, which utilize a liquid resin and not a powder, they're able to go uh, even finer in uh, in resolution detail. Um, but they have other trade offs like the mechanical properties aren't as good. The parts have a uh, have a lifetime effect because there's some degradation in the materials and, and the stuff. So it, it all depends on the application you have to uh, balance and weigh the, the, the pros and cons. So Greg, what does the senior vice president of applied technology actually do or be involved with? Yeah, with BOS? yeah, that's, uh, that's good. I, I have a an awesome uh, job, which I uh, which I would not trade for anything. I run the technical teams in North America for uh, for EOS, and uh, what that means is we have uh, a number of engineers which work on all different types of projects. Some work on internal development projects like. How do we uh, incorporate a new type of laser into our system? Or uh, how do we work together with our German engineering teams on a next generation uh, uh, system? All the way uh, to customer related projects. So a customer is asking um, uh, for an, uh, a new alloy, which has never been printed before. Uh, can, can my team figure out how to, uh, how to print it and, and what the properties of this material are and what the recipe to print it is? Um, all the way to application projects for our customers. So we do a lot. Um, with either uh, existing customers or potential customers that come to us and say, hey, we have this component, uh, we want to print it, we're not really sure how, we have to think about uh, qualification, we have to think about cost per parts, uh, we have to think about um, uh, some sort of like distributed uh, supply chain to make this part in the future, can you help us? And in a, in a consultative way, we engage with those, uh, with those companies and we help them get from an idea on paper really into uh, full-blown uh, production. And we do that uh, uh, 50, 75, sometimes more than 100 times a year with, with different organizations. And that's, uh, and that's really cool. And the, the other part about my job, which is really interesting, is in doing all of this and working with customers, we recognized that there was a huge gap in the skill level and the knowledge needed by companies to innate, to put this technology into real practice and the education skill level and, 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 uh, and knowledge readiness of the employees that they had. And so a number of years ago, we, uh, we started an educational and training branch of, uh, of EOS, which I also oversee in North America called the Additive Minds Academy. And it's all focused on 
workforce development, uh, training, and education across additive in, in many different uh, in many different topics. And this this spurred out of a need that we had as, as we were trying to grow the industry, and we saw this was a pain point. We uh, we tried our best to try to address it and uh, and fix it. And I think what we're trying to do now is is get what we've learned and what we've built as this Additive Minds Academy into the hands of those uh, of those four year schools of those two year schools, especially uh, to really train and uh, train the workforce uh, of the future. Considering that the workforce of the future is going to be smaller and smaller over the next 20 years. Uh, I'm not sure I totally agree with that. I, th I think uh, I think the it, some of the advantages of things like additive manufacturing, uh, but also uh, things like reshoring and the Chips Act that was just put out there are really bringing manufacturing uh, back uh, to Western uh, countries, which is which have been focused on globalization uh, for such a long time. We see a lot of reshoring happening. So. I would agree with you that uh, uh, that the hardcore manufacturing jobs, as they exist today, may become may become less. Right. Uh, but the total number of jobs, I think, is going to actually increase in the manufacturing sector. They'll just look uh, slightly different than uh, than what they have in the past. And there was um, I was listening to a, a Navy general uh, talk a number of weeks ago, and uh, and he was talking about manufacturing and how it relates to the Navy. And he made a point that really resonated with me. And he's like, you know, uh, we're not talking about uh, white collar jobs or blue collar jobs. But right now, with with these type of technologies and the workforce development programs that we have, we're talking about new collar jobs. So he's he's created a new type of collar. So not white collar, not blue collar, but new collar jobs. And I think um, it's maybe a slogan, but it, I think it resonates uh, a lot with, with what we're seeing in the manufacturing industry today. It'll probably be more like a white jacket job. Could be a white jacket job. <laughs> it, will, it will involve a computer in one way or another. I'm certain of that. Right. No doubt. Uh, Greg, just to wrap this up, one of the things we want to be sure that our uh, viewers know is how to get a hold of EOS or reach out to you so they can you know, ask their questions and present their projects. Perfect. Yeah. So um, uh, if, I if I plug the website, so you can go to either eos.info, uh, that's our global website. You can also go to eos-na.com. That's our North American website. All of it is connected and easily uh, and easily searchable. The workforce development programs and consultative services that we uh, that we run are under the, uh, an EOS brand called Additive Minds, uh, which you can also Google and easily get in touch uh, uh, with us. Um, I'm not sure, uh, uh, Tim and Lou, if, if you post my um, my email address, but if you want to put that um, uh, at the bottom of this uh, of this recorded session, more than happy to send me a notes or find me on LinkedIn, and I'll make sure that they get uh, connected uh, in the right way to our organization. That'd be terrific. I, I, we, we're pleased that you uh, are here. Uh, if, if you have any new stuff coming down the line, uh, you know, perhaps a 32 by 32 by 80 inch long 
melted steel out yeah. of titanium so you can save on weight uh mm -hmm. let us know and uh next time we'll we'll even put up a couple of photos of uh, what your machines uh look like yeah uh, that was my fault i should have suggested to the, this to you in in preparation so i apologize uh, for that, but it looks like you have a wine still behind you. So I that's don't know right. if that's, that's right. part of your printed <laughs> material or is that part of your habit? <laughs> no, my uh, um, my wife's uh, family uh, helps run a restaurant uh, brewery here in the Netherlands where I am currently, like I said. And so uh, I'm sitting in the museum, which is attached uh, to that restaurant brewery right now, uh, coming to you live uh, from the Netherlands. But um, you know, when it comes to when it comes to additive manufacturing, I believe strongly uh, in this kind of crawl, walk, run um, uh, methodology. And so, I would encourage uh, everyone to reach out to us, uh, see what they can learn on our uh, on our websites. You can be connected to our online store, and you can do all types of uh, of e learning courses. Um, uh, some of which are even for free, just to get uh, get your hands uh, a little bit dirty with the technology and, and see what's possible. I, I think it's um, it's really cool, and we're there to help um, uh, and excited to do so. Thank you. Great stuff. Perfect. Yeah, great stuff, Greg. Thank you again for being with us. No problem. Happy to happy to do so, and hope to see you guys soon. Thanks again. And while you folks are surfing the web. Stop by eos-na.com or eos.info to check out all the cool technology that is here today. If anybody thinks that manufacturing is dull or boring or dirty, uh, wrong. It's all really cool stuff, and, and uh, Greg is on the cutting edge of it, and so is EOS. We appreciate having him with us. Also, check us out at jacketmediaco.com where you can find over a thousand podcasts that we have produced and we look forward to you visiting us in the near future thanks for being with us on manufacturing talk radio this podcast is a part of the c-suite radio network for more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.